Hey, happy GDC, everybody, and welcome back to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. My name is Todd Mitchell. In this episode, I will be speaking with James Gwartzman, the CEO and co-founder of PlayFab, creators of an awesome back-end platform for game development. He was a great guest with a lot of interesting things to say, and I know you'll enjoy it. So here is my chat with James. All right, I will jump right in. You good to go? Yeah, we're good here. Okay, James Gwertzman, uh, CEO and co-founder of PlayFab. How are you, sir? I am great. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to chat today. My pleasure. Uh, you have uh, recently joined the Microsoft family with PlayFab. How's that going for you? You know, I'm having... I, I knew it would be fun. I'm having way more fun than I than I thought I would, to be honest. Uh, I think sometimes at startups, it's easy to have the hubris to think that all the you know cool innovation is happening in these tiny companies. And uh, you come into Microsoft, and there is there are so many smart people in this company doing so much cool stuff uh, that it's sort of it's 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 impressive. And so I'm I'm just having a great time getting to know the other, the other folks in the gaming org, and and you know starting to figure out how we now adapt and grow PlayFab in the context of Microsoft. Absolutely. I would echo that sentiment. I've only made friends with Microsoft uh, just just about a month ago, and the people I've heard about and spoken to in that time, it really has blown my mind. I didn't didn't know nearly the the depth of the uh, gaming activity there. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's, uh, you know, Microsoft is really all in on games, and uh, we're feeling that directly. Yeah, so now you are a 20-year uh, veteran of the game industry yourself. And you, uh, prior to this, you have spent time with PopCap, um, founded studios of your own. Uh, you you worked with uh, PopCap in what Shanghai? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I started and ran PopCap's first ever free to play game studio, uh, which we based in in Shanghai, and and really was focused on on the Asia market. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you have sort of a skill for getting scooped up. You <laughs> start somewhere and uh, get. Get scooped up by uh, PopCap, get scooped up by Microsoft. So uh, clearly, what you're doing seems to be, to be working. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. It's uh, I've been lucky to have some really fun. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Exit opportunities. Yeah. So, and you also uh, do really great work work with uh, Code.org, which is really awesome. I, I love that organization. Yeah, it, I have to say the the, the time I spent full-time at Code.org was probably the most fun I've had in my whole career. I mean, I, I love games, and I love providing services for game developers, but um, I got a chance to start and run the first hour of Code Campaign, uh, in which we got more than, we actually got close to 20 million kids to do their first ever hour of computer science. That was far and away the most uh, rewarding thing I've ever done. Absolutely. So, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, it, it looks like what you're uh, you're going to be speaking at GDC tomorrow. Yep. So and it, it looks like this is basically going to be a introduction to the PlayFab system and tool set, and you'll be sort of introducing to uh, developers how how they can get into the into the fun with PlayFab. Is that is that right? Don't let me put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I think there's actually two parts to the talk. I think the first part of the talk is sort of what is live ops, because I think uh, you know part of our whole kind of mission at PlayFab is providing a platform that helps game developers focus on on and be successful at live ops. But I think a lot of developers don't even know what that is. You know, it used to be the games were really just two things, code and art. And you'd, you'd build a game and you'd ship it and you were done and you'd move on to the sequel. And I think nowadays, you know, games are services, which means you build the game, you launch a game, and then the real work begins. And you now have to focus on the sort of post-launch operations phase, which we've kind of come to call live ops. And so 
I think the first part of my talk tomorrow really is, is what is live ops and why does it matter and 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 sort of what what makes up an effective live ops strategy. And then the second part of the talk is what is PlayFab and how do we provide tools and services to help developers be successful at their live ops strategy. Awesome. So and and I think this is going to be important because I, I agree a lot of um, not necessarily to single out indies, but smaller teams don't necessarily uh, think about uh, anything ops necessarily. And so the idea of uh, transforming over into ongoing services and ongoing uh, events and sort of just longevity for their projects, I think, may uh, sometimes feel out of reach for them. Yeah. And so I, I think this is going to be really great, and it's an awesome way for people to sort of get their foot in the door with this stuff. Because I've I've browsed the PlayFab site a little bit and your uh, service catalog and the tools and APIs you guys have created, and it seems to me, without having tried it yet, uh, it seems very approachable. So it, that yeah. seems like it must be a focus for you guys. A absolutely, I, I think I think you're right. I think for a lot of smaller developers, especially. This stuff just seems overwhelming. I mean, I think they 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 you know they they start to dig into what it takes to operate as a service, and they just become they just kind of throw their hands up and say, okay, I just want to be a premium game, or I just want to because I don't I don't want to deal with or I can't I can't get my mind wrapped around all this stuff you've got to do, and it is overwhelming. I mean, one of the things we're giving out at GDC this year is we wrote a, a hundred page book called you know our, our like guide to live ops, and it's basically a compendium of everything we've learned. On what it takes to build a live off strategy, so it's it's not easy, but it's no harder than building a game in the first place. It's just different, and I think you know you go to a conference like GDC, even today, the vast majority of the sessions here are really still focusing on how do you build a game, right? There's so much content out there on how you build a game, how you design a game, create art for your game, you know, create you know realistic AIs for your game. I'm just oh, that's really where the the historical focus has been. And this is just a new discipline, you know. It, it's it's right, you know. Game developers have to start figuring out how to operate their games, no different than they've had to figure out an art pipeline or how they've had to figure out, you know, how to how to engineer their game. So it's just a new set of skills, but it is overwhelming. And 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 unlike, I don't know, building them in the first place, it requires a pretty massive investment in infra infrastructure. You know, I think, uh, uh, and and that's where we we come in. We we see, well. Big companies can afford to build all this infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, companies like EA, Microsoft, and Activision—they all built out backends for their games, um, which is great. But it means if you're a smaller indie or a smaller developer, you're kind of stuck. You really can't afford to build all this stuff from scratch, and that means you're at a pretty huge disadvantage to the companies who can. And so we see a, a big part of what we're doing is democratizing development, providing access to world-class tools for everyone. Uh, and to do that, going back to your original point, you're right. It has to be very accessible. It has to be very easy to use. You know, developers have to be able to drop the stuff in with only a few lines of code, uh, and then and then grow their use of our services as their sophistication grows, and frankly, as their game grows. Sure, that that makes total sense. Um, when I was browsing through your stuff, I I uh, it still felt like okay, this is like you said, it, it's a little bit daunting on on the way in just to sort of take it all in, and then I started to look through the different tool sets you offer, and I I saw things like you have tools for uh, Phaser. Like even if you're developing JavaScript games in the browser, you, you can still, it looks to me like you can still incorporate these tools in and do uh, almost the sky is the limit, it seems. So I, I thought, oh my goodness, like I, I, could, I could do this, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, we've, we've been, and that's part of the fun of what we do is, is um, you know, we keep up with all the trends, right? And so we've got, you know, dedicated people, 
making sure that our tools are relevant. And so, uh, you know, Phaser you mentioned is, is interesting because we've seen a pretty dramatic uptick recently in games building for Facebook instant games. Sure. Um, so we actually have a couple, you know, a couple of our customers are building games now for Facebook instant games, and and we've got you know for for, for a number of players on that platform. And so when we set it, we asked ourselves, okay, well, what would it take for PlayFab to be a really good you know, companion if you're operating a game on Facebook instant games? And the answer is, well, it starts with phaser support because that seems to be the most popular engine right now for people building HTML5 games. Uh, tell me a little bit about what your user base looks like right now. I mean, what what kind of, uh, uh, how many teams you're working with? Are they big? Are they small? Like, where, where are you sort of specializing right now? Yeah, well, we've got right now uh, just north of about 3,000 game developers we work with total. Uh, and I think we've got something like just north of 1,300 live games that are actually live with, with um, you know, in, in the market. Uh, majority of those developers building for mobile. Uh, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's it's north of 80%, you know, are, are targeting, you know, mobile devices. The rest, are, the rest are kind of mixed among, you know, PC, console, uh, things like Facebook. Yeah, I think a lot of them are using Unity. Unity is probably the most popular game engine and SDK we support. Um, but the second most popular probably is JavaScript. You know, I think we're seeing a lot of people now looking at HTML5 and they, and and either from this client side or or from the server side. Um, so that's I think that's pretty exciting. I think that's another you know new new platform opening up that's getting a lot of interest. I love that, and and it looks like at some of your uh, various um, customer levels, you guys will actually do stuff like on-site training and things like that. Yeah, so we have right. So we have a really broad mix of customers. You know, we 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 started initially focusing pretty much just on smaller kind of indie developers. That's really where we got our start um, because we figured that was the, the developer who needed our services the most. But we've recently started adding some pretty big companies, right? So you know, studios like Disney or Bond and Amco, Capcom, uh, and now there are Microsoft. Frankly, a lot of Microsoft studios now we're talking to as well. So I think we're we have this sort of nice mix where we got some really big companies. We also have a bunch of, of much smaller companies, and 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 yes, our, our sort of support offerings span the gamut as well. Most of our customers are entirely self-serve. You know, they they start using PlayFab, they integrate our services, they build their game, they launch the game, and they've never talked to us at all. It's entirely self-serve, and that's great. That's that's you know, we've worked really hard to make that possible. Um, we also have customers who want more handholding. They want us to you know maybe send someone to come sit down with them on site to hold their hand to help them you know, do the mapping between their current game and, and our services, or maybe they want some help with integration and, and we can provide that as well. So we've got that kind of you know, pretty broad, broad spectrum there. Gotcha. And, and tell me what you can about the sort of beginning of the relationship with Microsoft, what it's looked like your transition to sort of joining that family and how you guys are sort of fitting into their, their strategy to sort of move this direction to help. Uh, it seems to me like they have a very big focus on helping developers uh, fill out the back end of their projects, uh, you know, add that longevity to their to their games. Microsoft has, you know, I think people sometimes forget just how deep the legacy of of you know, kind of involvement in the game industry is for Microsoft. I mean, I think I think the first Microsoft game shipped even before Windows shipped. You know, going all the way back to the or even for I think even DOS shipped. You know, going back thirty. 30 plus years now or more. So Microsoft had this very, very long tradition of games. Of course, now everyone knows Xbox, you know, games for Windows, things like DirectX. So, so they've got this, this kind of legacy. And of course, now they own, you know, games like Gears of War and Halo and Minecraft and others. So there's this, there's this deep experience with gaming on the, on the, on the you know, and support for game developers. Um, and I think what they've started to realize recently is as games are moving to services, the need for support from the cloud 
is is really accelerating. I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, if you look at Azure and Amazon Web Services together, I think games as a as a segment represents the single biggest use of, or, or it's it's the biggest or one of the biggest users of cloud services is is the game industry. Sure. And so I think recognizing that, Microsoft started saying, wait a minute, okay, if if gaming is going to be really important in the cloud, and we have this great you know and long tradition of support for game developers, it's only natural that we should have uh, a great game cloud offering. And so that's really where the beginnings of of this effort started. And then they approached us and, and said, hey, we're, you know, we're fans of what you're doing at PlayFab, and we'd love to you know, invite you to come join our Microsoft family. And I think we, we started chatting with them. Uh, and and you know, our motivation from the very beginning of our company has been um, to ultimately provide services you know, for every game if we can, and to really help as many game developers as possible, you know, free them from the need to build infrastructure, and allow them and empower them to really just focus on the creativity. And that was exactly Microsoft's goal. You know, this is a company that, you know, again, beyond this gaming, this is a company that's been building platforms for developers for, for years. It's a company that gets productivity and, and, and sees as one of its core missions to improve the productivity of, of everyone. And, and game developers are no different. And so there really was a good fit there. And so the more we chatted and the more we, more we recognized, you know, the ambitions of Microsoft in the game space, we, we saw, wow, this is a company that can really help us grow and scale and 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 fulfill ultimately our mission of every game in the world using playfab so you know we saw that as a great fit and uh we've been on board now for just under two months and it's been fantastic so far it's been even better than we expected you know like i like opened the call you know there's just so many smart people here and and we're getting such a warm welcome uh it's super exciting you know even here at gdc you know we we have our annual booth that we've always had and now we're also in two other booths you know microsoft has a big presence here and so we're excited to be able to show off PlayFab in in these other uh, booths as well and and what's the reception like that you you guys as PlayFab are getting at uh conferences and uh, events you guys attend i mean i i imagine that probably mid-sized smaller developers come up and and talk to you and get a feel for what you're doing and they probably you probably see a lot of those aha moments you know yeah, I mean, I think the first time we kind of splurged and had a, a, a big booth at GDC was, I think, three years ago. Uh, yeah, it was it was not last year, but the year before. And we had, um, I guess about two years ago, uh, so we had a big booth that year. And, it, and we, we made the decision to bring our entire engineering team down and have them help us staff the booth. And we designed the booth to be more like kind of an Apple genius bar almost, right? So less emphasis on marketing, more emphasis on helping developers you know, demo our product and, and figure out what we do and, and, and ask their technical questions. Uh, and it was so much fun. I mean, we, I still remember that, that first GDC where we just had this nonstop stream of folks coming by and, and, you know, showing them what we could do for them and showing them the product. And just exactly what you described, this sort of aha moment of, oh, like, okay, <laughs> I know we need to do live ops. I get that. But wow, you know, when I see, you know, how easy this is to do, Suddenly, this area that felt really scary and intimidating suddenly becomes a whole lot less intimidating, and suddenly becomes something that, that seems reasonable. And there's some, there were some pretty cool things we were showing off. We had this thing called PlayStream, which is a real-time feed of every event happening in your game. So, you know, we've got a demo where you play a game on like a tablet, and you know, you're logged into a PC, and you can see all the events flying by on the on the PC in real time that are happening. You know, at the same time they're happening in the in the tablet. You know, and the ability to have those actions. Those events trigger actions and rules to sort of make things happen on the server side in real time based on what you're doing in your game itself. 
and that some of that stuff just feels like magic. You know, it's just yeah. like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And uh, and 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 it, that that is that is a lot of fun. So, and I, I know you'll be uh, covering this in depth tomorrow, and I would encourage people uh, in the GDC area to uh, check out your your uh, discussion there, uh, which is called uh, Meet PlayFab, the Intelligent Backend Platform for Games. It's uh, in room 2009 West Hall, I believe, at uh, 1245. Yep, that sounds right. So you will be covering in depth the concept of live ops, but for developers unfamiliar, give us, give us sort of a sense of what type of uh, events and activities that, that sort of covers. Yeah. And by the way, I also want to give a plug as well. Just after my talk, uh, one of our customers, Fluffy Fairy, is going to be talking about their game, Idle Miner Tycoon. Oh, yeah. And that's an awesome, awesome talk. I've, I've, helped, I've, I've worked with them in the slides. Um, Fluffy Fairy is probably one of the one of the best. Um, well, you know, all my children. <laughs> I don't pick favorites necessarily, but but Fluffy Fairy has done a really good job. Um, not just building their game, but they they're probably one of the most successful games on the platform today. And they're going to talk about sort of their their process for how they've built the game, then which is which is unusual. I think a lot of times developers will spend years polishing a game before they launch it, and these guys followed this sort of you know minimum viable product approach of launching their game after just two months of work. And then sort of iterating it and honing it in, in in the public eye, not as a beta, but as an actual live game. And they just have this 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 process of updating every week or so with a new feature, new build, and uh, and they're using PlayFab as the backend to support that. And it's a really neat talk of what's possible with live iteration as opposed to having to get it all right up front. Nice. So anyway, anyway, that's that's a neat talk. That's an aside. That's a neat talk. Sure. Um, so in terms of my own talk tomorrow, yeah. So so what is live ops? I think of live ops as everything you do once a game launches to to sort of you know keep it growing and to sort of keep it successful that doesn't necessarily involve changing the game itself. And by that I mean you know if you're adding a new feature to the game, to me that's just an update. And I, and sure. I suppose some people consider updates part of live ops, but I I, I don't. I consider you know that's just, that's just updates. To me, live ops are all the things you do that don't require actually changing the code of your game on the at least on the client side. So that can be things like all the analytics and and business intelligence of understanding what's going on inside your game. It's the ability to sort of manage your in-game commerce if you're a free-to-play game to add new items to your store, to run sales and promotions and offers, uh, to to um, to sort of you know adjust your pricing and 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 sort of manage your retail experience, it's events. So you know this weekend we're running a special. You know last week on St. Patrick's Day, a lot of our customers had St. Patrick's Day events where you know it would start on Friday and end on Sunday, and and during the course of the event there were often special items for sale. There's special content to play, special competitions to compete in. Um, you know those 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 kind of live events I think is a really important part of of what it is to to, to be doing live ops. Sure. Uh, some customers include the Customer acquisition. So, how do you get new players into your game? You know, some customers spend money and actually run ads to do that. Others focus on making their games really viral and having, you know, um, uh, you know, invites and, and 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 opportunities to encourage players to invite other players. That's consider that part of your live ops uh, strategy. Content updates. So, updating your content not by changing code in the game, but by changing you know things in the server side. So, being able to publish new maps, new new quests, new uh, challenges. Yeah, I would consider all of that to be live ops. Um, a lot of times, the experimentation process, so tuning and adjusting your game live in front of a customer. So you know, maybe you know players are dropping out after a certain level, and you're you're not sure why, and so you want to run some tests, and you want to maybe make some changes to see if it fixes the problem. That sort of A/B that that sort of testing process, experimentation process, I consider that part of live ops. 
you know, monetization. So a lot of games monetize nowadays with things like ads. And so if you're going to pick ads and, and, and put ads into your game, that's a process unto itself. You've got to pick your ad provider and you've got to often have multiple providers. And if you're going to run rewards in your game to reward players for watching an ad, you've got to balance and tune those rewards and adjust them because different players may frankly value different different things. That's part of live ops. So sort of collectively, all of these, you know, processes you need to do, uh, which all ultimately come back to, you know, three things. Retention, how many players stick around and, and keep playing your game. Engagement, which is how often and how much are players playing your game. And frankly, monetization, and how much money are you making? Because if you can't monetize your game, if you can't make enough money, you're not going to be around long enough to, for the other stuff to matter. So you've got to balance all three of those. Sure. It, it makes good sense. When I th- when I first read about this concept, uh, what popped into my mind was actually uh, Neverwinter, just because it's a game that I've played in the past, and I'm, I'm probably that, that very user that they're worried about losing all the time because I pop in once every couple of months. And what really keeps me coming back, and, and what makes me think of it every couple of months or so, if I've got a couple hours to spare, I, I think like, well, last time I, they were doing this special event, and I got this special thing, and I you know did whatever and, and got a, a cool hat or you know, whatever silly thing. But it, that that very thing, if I had just been going through the game as it was normally designed and just doing what what I normally thought, like I may honestly have sort of moved on. And right. so while the MMO pops into my mind, I I feel like there's a big move in uh, casual gaming this direction as well. Like, like you said, I I think a lot of those games are are probably the ones doing, you know, holiday events and and all this kind of stuff. And it really seems more and more essential, especially on mobile um, and, and small games like that. So do you, do you find that that's, you know, a big, a big portion of, of that sort of usage? Yeah. If you, you know, in my talk tomorrow, I'm opening with some statistics about top 10 lists in gaming. And if you go back to, say, 2000, and you look at the top 10 grossing games in 2000 to 2001, I think there was only one game that stayed in the top 10 from year to year. I think it was The Sims. Hmm. And if you fast forward to uh, last year, 2017, and you look at how many games from 2016 were still in the top 10 in 2017, I think it was 70%. Seven, Seven of the top 10 games were the same between 2016 and 2017. And you, you, you look at that and you're like, what's going on there? Like, how are all these games sticking around in the top 10? And you realize this because these are no longer packaged goods. These are not games that you, 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 you buy and play. And then, you know, after your whatever 15, 20 hours of fun, you're done with. You know, these are games where they're just continually evolving services that are just continually adding new content, continually adding new experiences. You know, there's something always going on. And so uh, they do stick around. You know, they, they have this kind of, you know, evergreen appeal that makes them very sticky. And that is, in my mind, the epitome of, of live ops. Gotcha. So, and the, the analytics side, I mean, that's something probably a whole lot of developers just really didn't have access to at all. Like you said, it's a certain developers get to build out uh, those kind of backend systems and a lot don't. So it, it seems like more than ever, uh, smaller teams have a shot at really understanding their user base a lot more than they might have uh, just a few years ago. Right, and, and, and I'm actually giving a talk this afternoon uh, on the difference between vanity metrics and, and, and actionable kind of analytics because I think, you know, analytics have been around for a while, you know, in gaming. It, it's, it's actually surprised me. It's still not really a solved problem, I don't think. Um, but but it's, it's been, you know, the concept of gathering data from your game has been around for a while. But I think a lot of developers, you know, you know, used to and even today still think of it primarily as what we call vanity metrics, which are things like, 
how much money did I make? How many players did I have? What was my retention rate? You know, what's my engagement rate? These are these are high level numbers, high level, you know, so-called KPIs or key performance indicators. And so you can look at these metrics and 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 either feel good or feel bad depending on how, you know how good your numbers are. Sure. Um, but they don't they don't really tell you much. They don't actually really tell you what to do about it. So let's say take retention. Retention is the percentage of your players who come back. And you know a, a, a classic metric in the gaming world is called your D1 retention or your day one retention, which is basically saying, look, what percentage of your players who download and install a game come back the next day? Very simple metric. And you know, a really good D1 might be 60% retention. You know, a pretty good one might be 40% retention, right? Most games, you know, I would advise you shouldn't launch unless you have at least 40% day one retention, or at least, you know, you're going to have some challenges if you don't. Um, but let's say you, you measure your retention, let's say your retention is 30%, your D1 retention is 30%. Now what? Like, like, what do you do about that? And that's where I think, you know, your data analyst really starts to come into play. Because if just knowing your number is not good enough, doesn't actually tell you what to do about it. To figure that out, you've got to be able to go much deeper into your game's data and to actually figure out, okay, you know, where are my players dropping out? Why are they not coming back? You know, if I look at my players who stick around and I compare them to the players who don't stick around, what's different about them? You know, what, what's what's happening for the players who stick around that's somehow not happening for the players who don't? And, and is there something I can do about that? Um, and once you have the data to sort of start to ask these questions and to start to explore, then you can really start to understand what's happening in the game and your and your player behaviors and, and, and how to make that, that experience better. But that's that's beyond the scope of just these simple vanity metrics. To do that right, you have to have, you know, a data warehouse, you have to have in some cases data scientists or analytics teams. You've got to have, you know, data pipelines that can capture all this data and, and, and do it affordably. And that's 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 where it starts to become a, a, a bigger challenge. And that's again a big part of what what PlayFab is trying to help with. Sure. It, it makes sense. And you you guys talk about uh, the concepts of using these tools to lower risk and avoid uh, leaving money on the table. And it, it seems like analytics probably is one of the biggest parts of that. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And, and again, you know, the, anytime you talk about money, it's a sensitive topic because I think, especially these free-to-play games, it's interesting. You know, the, the, the game develop, game players, you know, have this really interesting opportunity now to play great games for free. And that's sure. a new thing, you know, but on the game developer side, uh, that only works if you can still make enough money to, to pay for your game. And so you've got to be smart enough about what's going on in there so that, you know, players are paying what they feel they want to pay and having, you know, and feel like they're getting their money's worth from it. So as, as a smaller, we sort of tend to focus on uh, indies and uh, newer developers. And the, the striking thing about this to me is that, uh, developers can get started with PlayFab for free at no cost. So uh, yep. you speak of lowering risk; that it doesn't get any better than that. So, and the the features are pretty pretty great, and there's no uh, player limitation. Uh, you can just get started, incorporate this stuff, and add to your uh, you know account as you need it. I imagine. But so for a new person who wants to get into this world, I mean, it seems like. Um, there's probably a slightly different path they want to take into the world of PlayFab, which for some of these people, they, they don't have the opportunity to work on multiplayer stuff at all. So, I mean, what sort of features would you recommend looking at first as sort of a means to uh, get your feet wet? Right. So, um, right. So, so, so first of all, in regards to pricing, uh, you're right. PlayFab doesn't charge you anything uh, until you have at least a thousand players. Gotcha. So you can you know integrate PlayFab in your game and 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 that's meant to basically get you through your 
development process, you know, without having to spend any money at all. Um, because the goal is, is we want you to integrate and play fab. We don't want you to have to spend any money until you actually are making money. So the, the so the first part is, you know, up to a thousand players completely free beyond a thousand players. Uh, you've got a choice. We have a professional tier, which you pay for, and we charge you based on the number of monthly active players you have. The idea being that, you know, the more players you have, the more money you're making. So, you know, the, the more you can afford to pay. And so, and, and, and frankly, our own costs uh, go up with the number of players. The more players you have, the more costs us to operate the service for you. So, you know, there's a pretty natural kind of alignment there. Um, but we also have a free tier and the free tier uh, is limited. You know, there's a limited set of services that we provide, um, but they're really the, the essentials, the, the essential features that we think every game should have. And and, uh, and so we've made that, that essentials tier available completely for free, uh, no matter how many players you have. You could have 10 million monthly active players and still use our essentials tier by itself for free. Um, and then our, our, our goal, of course, is eventually you'll want to upsell and, 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 and upgrade to start uh, using more services, including the ones that are paid. And at that point, you become a paying customer and sort of everyone's happy. So in terms of getting started then, I would really start with the essentials tier, you know, the stuff that really is truly free, because we've tr- we've tried to put in an essentials tier the features that we consider to be truly essential for every game. So what does that what does that mean? Well, the first thing is it involves uh, having a player profile for every one of your players. Mm-hmm. So you know, authenticating your player, logging them in, and, and when I say log them in, I don't mean a username and password. You know, most most games these days log in their players using you know a, a device ID from their device, you know, mobile phone or PC or something, so that you can. Uh, create an account and start, you know, storing information for your players, like like their save game information, for example, uh, invisibly without having to, you know, prompt them for a name or a Facebook account or anything like that. Um, so, so just getting that basic account login is is sort of step one. And once you've done that, the minute you are logging in your players every time they run the game, then we can start to light up our dashboards with some pretty useful analytics information. We can start telling you how many players you had. We can start telling you what your retention rate is and who's coming back and who's not coming back. You know, we can start to tell you who's spending money, who's not spending money, that kind of thing. So that's first step is having that basic player account. And then the second step then is to start doing what we call receipt validation, which is, yeah, if you're spending, if you're paying, if you're charging money for things in your game, you should be validating your receipts through us, which not only lets us light up the dashboards for the money stuff, but also helps eliminate fraud and, and helps give you more accurate data in real time of how your game's performing. And then beyond that, you know, you can start looking at other things like, you know, in-game commerce and store management. You can start looking at things like remote configuration of game data. So storing all of your games config on the server so you can change it anytime, you know, even after games live. That's really pretty, pretty important to do. Um, You know, things like adding leaderboards or tournaments to to sort of, you know, help with that engagement and making your game more, more compelling. These are all things that you can, you know, typically that's the order we typically see people adding these features in. Very cool. So when I look at it in that light, I when I first uh, started to read about this, I thought, okay, so who are the, the real competitors? What does this compete with? And really what I sort of came up with was that it's more like filling a vacuum. Like you have choices to either sort of bang your head against this by yourself or you, you can just, you know, make use of, of uh, what you guys are providing as this platform. And it seems like... Uh, we people certainly seem better off that they have this option. Yeah, we, I know I know all the companies that we sort of compete with in the space, and we're all pretty pretty friendly with each other because I yeah. think all of us realize that differences aside, our biggest competition is really not with each other. At least not yet. Our biggest competition is really with either companies who don't do this at all because they haven't, you know, they they either see it as too daunting or or they just don't understand the importance of it, 
or companies who are building this for themselves right now and you know don't have to and so sort of th- that's really where we see our our focus is helping you know both on, on the education side what is live ops and why it matters and then you know helping educate developers of why you know trusting a party a company like us to do it for them uh, is you know makes makes sense and uh, perhaps I'm getting a little bit too abstract and uh, stop me if I veer too far off track but it seems like with this kind of uh, with these kind of tools at your disposal it really may over time sort of introduce more stability for uh, smaller developers who don't have unlimited funds and may only get so many chances before they run out of money. And uh, maybe maybe we come to a point where the game industry isn't quite as scary as it has been, at, you know, in the past. Yeah, I think there's, there's two parts to that that question. One of them is, um, for sure, you're right. You know, we we. I mean, if you just look at the math, you know, there's a huge expense involved in building this kind of service and, uh, and, and, and frankly, in operating it too, in running it. And so by, because we're able to do that at scale, uh, our costs on a, you know, incremental basis, on a, on a per player basis or per game basis uh, are just so much lower than it would be if a game developer is trying to do it for themselves that we're absolutely lowering the, the barrier to entry and, and, and providing, you know, services way, way cheaper than any developer could do for themselves. And so that is absolutely, you know, lowering that bar and, and making it more cost effective for the smaller developers, especially. So for sure, we're, we're lowering that bar. I think the other thing that's neat though about our backend services is that because we're operating these things at scale and because we're charging money based on the number of players you have, uh, our costs become completely elastic. You know, we have players, you know, we have companies who are paying us thousands, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month. And we have companies who are paying us you know, hundreds of dollars a month or even less. And so because of that, 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 you know, variable pricing, you can afford to run your game much longer than you might otherwise. Cause if you're running your servers yourselves, if you're doing this yourself, you've got a certain amount of fixed cost. I mean, I mean, the cloud is, is wonderfully scalable, but at some level you're still having to pay for servers each month. And so if you've got, you know, if you're paying for, I don't know, three or four servers, running on a service like an Amazon or an Azure to power your game, you're spending thousand dollars a month, you know, as, as a, at, a, at a minimum. And if your game starts to become less profitable, there's going to come a point where you're going to shut your game off because you're losing money now on your game every month, even though you might still have players who love your game and are still spending money. They're just not spending enough money to keep the doors, the lights on and the doors open. And that's again, where, where a platform like ours comes in. We've got games that are, you know, essentially running on autopilot where in some cases the, game developer they created a game isn't even around anymore but the game is still running because we're keeping the servers running and up and going and and players can keep playing the game <laughs> that is definitely pretty cool now on the opposite end of the spectrum do you find that your your bigger partner companies uh, your your disney's and and friends uh are they finding very positive results as well i mean they must be because you guys have a, a increasing list of uh, very large companies that seem to be loving these products yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, if you think about those bigger companies have much higher requirements for their live games, right? They've got pretty massive security requirements. They've got pretty massive um, scalability requirements and, and, and stability. And that comes at a cost. So, you know, when you're operating, when you're a Disney or you're a NBC Universal, let's say, you know, every time you change your code, every time you, you run a service, there's a, there's a pretty big cost involved. And so... For those companies, you know, they trust us to, you know, we, we've had to prove to them that they can trust us. We've had to go through pretty extensive security reviews. We've gone through pretty extensive, you know, we, we do penetration testing on a continuous basis. 
um, especially another part of Microsoft, actually, we've sort of inherited or as part of being acquired, we now have access to, you know, even greater, you know, security and, and, and um, uh, info, infosec uh, resources than, than we used to have. Sure. And so they can trust us to kind of keep this stuff not just running and scaling, but also safe, which means that that's a, that's a pretty major cost they don't have to bear themselves. Uh, and, and furthermore, in a lot of these big companies, you know, if they build it themselves, they have to worry about what happens if the guy who built it leaves. You know, what happens if the yeah. engineer who built the back end is now out the door and I've got to, you know, try to hire some new person or replace them. And what happens if, if right when that's going on, you know, there's a big event being run or something. It can be tough to kind of keep the, the legacy of these systems going. And that's another advantage of a service like ours is it's, it's you know, that's our problem, not theirs. And so, you know, they can use our services and not have to worry about, you know, behind the covers who's actually building and running the, the, the tech. It, it's a good point because that's another huge thing that you look at when you think, uh, I would love to start this game, it's a casual thing, or, or it's uh, online enabled somehow, and, and you start to think like, eh, you're going to hit that security barrier and, and it's either going to fall apart right away or it'll get momentum and then there'll be, you know, an attack or, uh, you know, some, some sort of event and then, uh, you know, you're, you're liable and, and, and it's just this big scary situation. But this is a pretty awesome way for somebody uh, without those resources previously to come in and get, like you said, somebody with Microsoft standards for security, uh, take, basically taking care of developing the hard part for you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that's extremely cool. Um, and now how big is PlayFab? How big is the group itself? Well, before we were acquired, we were about 20 people. Uh, and actually, I have to say it's a testament to the power of the cloud that we were running a service with, you know, more than 80 million players every month, you know, with essentially a 20 person team. That was, it was pretty extraordinary what we were able to do. Now that we're part of Microsoft, the team has already grown quite a bit. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to grow as we, you know, invest more and more in this effort. I think, I think one of the questions, I mean, probably when, when the news went out that we were acquired, you know, the very first question that was being, you know, flooded my inbox was, you know, what's going to happen to PlayFab and is Microsoft going to continue running the service? And, you know, it was really, it was very funny, actually, a little ironic, because back when we were a startup, you know, and, you know, we kept getting asked the question, well, well, what if you run out of money? What's going to happen if you run out of money and, and your services get cut off? And that's, and obviously that, that's a bad situation. You know, ironically, another part of Microsoft, running out of money is no longer an issue. Now the exact, now I just kept getting the same question, well, what happens if Microsoft, you know, arbitrarily decides to pull the plug on you? What's going to happen? And, and, you know, I had to really, you know, you know, the answer is this is a service that Microsoft is deeply committed to. This is something they see as being critical to their future growth of, of their own cloud services platform. You know, they're also using our services now internally. So, our, you know, their own games are now increasingly dependent on, on these services. We're not going anywhere. You know, we are absolutely here for the long haul. And, and now we have both the, the resources and the, the corporate, you know, infrastructure to ensure that 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 risk of anything happening to us is is you know even even more remote than it than it, than it used to be, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but for the you know to to maybe grant some confidence to anyone who's concerned about that, Microsoft is very excited about you guys. They uh, my contact over there said we want to make sure you're, you're able to talk to James. Uh, he's a great person to talk to, and we're doing this before I'm actually at GDC. I'm still in the St. Louis area. <laughs> So, uh, and it's, it's cool to have an opportunity to talk to you before you give the presentation. And I, I think people are going to be really excited to get just a little preview of what they're going to get tomorrow. Tell me from your personal, uh, point of view, 
So you I mean, obviously you have an extremely cool job now. You get to work with great companies and see cool things. You guys put up big numbers, which all of those things really make for a great day-to-day uh, situation. Do you have a development background yourself? Yeah, so I'm, I uh, I do. I uh, you know I was a computer science major. Uh, I uh, I have a CS degree from Harvard, and and my first ironically. You know, I, I was an intern at Microsoft back in 93, just to kind of date myself a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I wrote, ironically, my very first ever professional job was that summer internship at Microsoft where I wrote the AI code for a Moncala Bean game as part of a, a multimedia CD-ROM called How the Leopard Got Its Spots. Wow. So I, I, okay. wrote, I wrote both a, a jigsaw puzzle engine and I wrote a Moncala AI game engine for for this, this product. And that was sort of my, my first ever code I wrote. Uh, and then after graduation, I went back to Microsoft as a program manager, and then I left in 2000 because I wanted to go make games, and I wanted to you know, build my own game studio. And so it's ironic to sort of, I, I've kind of bookended my career a little bit here. I started at Microsoft, and now I'm back at Microsoft um, in a different capacity. But I've, I've always been, you know, my, my personal uh, passion has always been at this intersection of art and, and technology. You know, so I, I've always been fascinated by things like special effects and film. I was a set designer and light designer in college for theater. You know, this this area where where art meets technology, I've just always found sort of endlessly fascinating. And so, you know, I've I've explored different aspects of that through game development, now back in services and, and, and tools and technology. But I, I just keep circling around this area where you're kind of doing very creative things but using technology to do it. Very cool. Tell me this, what do you see uh, PlayFab tackling in the future moving forward? Like what what's your focus for the near the next uh, few years? Well, we have we have a roadmap that's at least, I mean, you know, if, if you look at our feature kind of wish list, it's at least a few years worth of stuff in there. You know, I think in the in the near term, we're just going to continue to build out new features. You know, we've got a long list of things that our customers want and that we want to build, and that's going to keep us pretty busy. Um, I think beyond beyond the, 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 you know, this ever-growing kind of set of services, though, um, I'm really interested in the, in the data, and, and in particular in machine learning and AI. And like a lot of people... I think there's a lot of ways in which the the computers, the, the these machine learning algorithms, um, can make better decisions in some cases than we do. And so, you know, exploring how we can create, for example, predictive models, or you know, going back to your your, your earlier point that this can feel very intimidating. You know, configuring and running a live game, you can think of it as almost like being a, a, at the at the control panel of a of a massive, I don't know nuclear power station or something you've got hundreds and hundreds of switches and knobs and levers and dials and 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 things you've got to do to keep your game running and running smoothly and if as we can start to train the computer to basically do that for you as we can start to automate portions of live ops i think it's going to make it even more approachable for game developers and 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 frankly more f- successful too so um we're very interested in exploring that aspect of of of, uh, of operations as well very cool. Well, uh, I know we got started a little late. I don't want to keep you, but I, this is so cool. I would strongly encourage people to check out uh, play, not only your uh, your discussion tomorrow again at uh, Room 2009 West Hall at uh, 1245. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a sponsored session, and all sponsored sessions get posted online for free to everyone You know, at some point after this show's over. Very cool. So uh, people can look forward to that. I, again, would encourage developers to go ahead and check out PlayFab. Uh, whether you were thinking of moving that direction or not, you should definitely know 
what options you have and how low the actual uh, barrier for entry is uh, now that you have uh, well-developed, widely available tools like this could not be more approachable. And uh, I, I can't help it. I think this is going to be really awesome for uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think you guys are going to really, really blow up now that you're part of the Microsoft family. And uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, what direction this goes. Well, thanks a lot, Todd. And thanks for your, your time today. Absolutely. Thank you. As always, if you enjoyed the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe through iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Player FM. There's an unlimited number of ways to uh, follow the show, so please do that. Reach out to us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, and we will be back with more great stuff all week from GDC. So thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.